Hey, this is John Nettles, and this is the Roots of Revelation podcast, the podcast where we dive into the scripture behind the scripture of Revelation. This is episode number five, and it's called Symbolic Numbers. There are certain parts of the Bible that are very literal. For instance, when David goes out to fight a battle against the Philistines, there's a fine, there's a finite, uh, clear-cut number of Philistines that died in that battle, and and those on David's side too. And they will say there were 10,694. I just made that number up. That's how many people died in that battle. And that's a real fixed number. However, there are also times where imagery is used in the Bible. For instance, when Jesus is called the Lamb of God, nobody actually thinks that he is actually a baby sheep. You understand that that is talking about a a part of his nature and and part of his role that he was the sacrifice for, for us. But you don't actually think that he was a sheep. Um, there, uh, let me give you another example of times that symbolism is used. Jesus and Peter were talking, and Peter said, how many times with, must I forgive somebody? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, seven times 70. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, forgive somebody 490 times, but at 491 that switches, that flips the switch, and now you can hold that against them. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, and I think everybody would realize this, there's an unlimited amount of forgiveness you should be willing to give to somebody else because God has given you an unlimited amount of forgiveness through Jesus. That number seven was, was, should tip us off, and he used it in a, in a multipl- multiplication to say, it's even more so. It's 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 unlimited amount. Uh, there are other symbols that are, like that are given, where uh, we have to figure out. Well, what does that mean when that's that thing is used? Uh, for instance, some of these we're going to talk today about numbers, symbolic numbers. And some of these have some. Uh, there's an interpretation to them, like most people think. Or many people think three means a certain thing, six means a certain thing, seven means a certain thing. But there are schools of thought of, um, there's some, a little bit of ambiguity there, the best that I can tell. Based on my study, that's what I see. Uh, But there are certain times when, like in the first chapter of Revelation, Jesus talks about seven golden lampstands and seven stars. And then in, in verse 20, it says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So in this case, you were told, you're given the key to understanding the imagery. You know for sure that... The seven stars uh, are the angels. Other things happen in scripture that, are, that aren't as easily discernible as the example I just gave, but it's still fairly easy to interpret. It's like uh, the Jesus and Jonah. So J- Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days after he was thrown overboard for running away from God's um, will for him. 
And when the, when the fish eventually, after three days, threw him up on dry land, and Jonah went and completed God's mission. Jesus says he was asked to do a miracle, and he said that no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And he was referring to his own death, burial, and resurrection, in which he was in a tomb for three days and then rose to do God's will. Other times, there were given symbols that have meaning, but they're not as easily interpreted as either of those two, first two examples. Uh, certainly less so than the stars with this equals that. Less so even than the sign of Jonah, where you can kind of figure out, okay, three days inside the fish, inside the tomb. I get the, I get where you're going with this. Sometimes we are left to just figure it out. And so I preface this with saying there's a lot of subjectivity to this, in my opinion. All right, so now that I've attempted to give a disclaimer that some of this stuff I'm about to be talking about is, at least in my opinion, subjective and therefore open to some interpretation and opinion, um, let's just let's talk about it a little bit. Um, let's say about the, let's start with the number three. Three. Many people think that three has to do with completeness or intensity. Um, meaning there's the Trinity of God. There's three, the God, three persons in one. Uh, there is also a completely evil and perverse version of the Trinity with Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet in Revelations 12 and 13. So it's, it's in, in a way, Satan is trying to mimic, I guess, God's holy Trinity in a, in a sick, perverse way. And kind of create a bizarro world, almost uh, his own evil trinity. So it is, in that sense, it was completely evil and intense, intensely evil. God's version of the, the trinity is intensely and completely good. Uh, some people throw in that I've heard three having to do with perfection as well. And and I, I say that to say sometimes... You hear the same thing about the number seven, that sometimes they can be similar. Um, in in my very limited understanding, and I, I ask, as always, through this entire podcast, that you go behind and study things on your own and, and learn for yourself, because I am by no means an expert on all this. But to me, it seems like three and seven are, are similar in a lot of ways. But where it seems to me that they differ is three is more about um, intensity and sevens more about perfection, maybe, but I could be wrong about that. So let me give you some other examples where three is used. So the angels are, when they are before the throne of God, it says they, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. They use that, that holy three times. And I, I think it's kind of like a God is completely and intensely holy. You also see that the number of man is 666. So six is used three times. Uh, and, and we'll talk about six in a minute, but uh, six is uh, like incomplete. So man is very incomplete, imperfect, and messed up in an intense way without God. 
Uh, that's my personal interpretation of all that. But um, okay, so let's talk about the number four. We hear a lot of times that number four is about God's creation. So you hear how the God's creative nature. So there are the four rivers uh, in Genesis chapter two, where that that were surrounding Eden. There are four gospels that talk about the life of Jesus through whom all things were created. As we refer to John one there, that's, that's God's creation. God's about how to bring life to him, mankind, how to bring man back to life basically. And there are four gospels explaining all that. There are four angels holding back four winds in revelation. Again, a nature imagery there. And there are four sides of the new Jerusalem. As, as God creates a new Jerusalem, there are four sides. If you look at Jerusalem now, it's it's a uh, early even in ancient times it was not square, but apparently it will be square uh, and have four sides in the new Jerusalem. The number six. I talked about this a minute ago, but the number of a man who is incomplete and imperfect without God because one is less than seven. So we're going to talk about seven in a minute. One or six, six is one less than seven. And so he's lacking. And that we hear about the number of the beast being six, 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 meaning without God, something's lacking and messed up and lacking goodness and therefore evil. Okay. Number seven, you hear a lot about, and again, it's similar to three in some ways, in my opinion, but um, completeness and perfection is the way I would personally describe this. Uh, Revelation chapter one, verse four talks about the seven spirits of God. And this is likely showing the perfection of the Holy Spirit and the completeness. It's not saying there are seven Holy Spirits, but it's saying that this the Holy Spirit is complete and perfect. Uh, Revelation chapter five verse six describes Jesus as a lamb with seven horns. So horns are like for power. So this would be like he's all powerful, and he's got seven eyes, which means they're all seeing, all knowing. Um, there are seven churches that are mentioned that likely symbolize. Churches everywhere, because there was a church in Jerusalem, there was a church in Antioch, there's a church in Rome. There are churches all over at this point. By the by, ninety A.D., there's churches in many cities. He talks about seven churches that are pretty close to each other in Asia Minor. Why didn't he talk about those other ones? The, he mentions seven, and the study that I've done says that basically it's using those seven churches to say this is. While it is specific information about the church in Ephesus and and the other six, it is also to the entire realm of Christendom, I guess. Is that way to say that? But to all churches everywhere, to all Christians everywhere, here's a message. Almost like if if you get an email and it's, there's a, you know, the, the two field, but there's also people that are carbon copied on it. Um, it's definitely to those seven churches, but I think because of the seven churches, it means it's churches everywhere. And then I, I referenced this earlier, but Jesus told Peter that we must forgive 
seven times 70 in Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Again, he's saying you must completely forgive everyone from now on, basically. There's no end to your forgiveness. All right, let's talk about the number 10, which kind of shows God's authority. God is the king, he's in charge, and he uses uh, the number 10 to show that sometimes. For instance, there were something like 600 commandments given in the Torah to the uh, Israelite nation, but he gives them 10 commandments. What happened to the other 590? Actually, I think there's like 618. So what happened to the other 608 laws and directions that he gave to them? He chose to just give them, he wrote on a tablet for Moses, 10 commandments. Um, there are 10 plagues of Egypt. And a lot of those plagues, by the way, this will be another, another, uh, another episode, but you'll hear about a lot of stuff in Revelation goes back to the, uh, the 10 plagues. Uh, you'll see them again. You'll see the frogs and the, and other things that were plagues uh, repeated in Revelation. So, but there's there's ten commandments. There's ten plagues of Egypt showing his divine authority. He's actually making something. He's he's showing his power with, by doing those ten plagues. Another similar number to ten is twelve, and here you're talking about the governmental rule of God. So how does he divide things up? How does he, he has 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 apostles. The new Jerusalem has four walls, but there are 12 gates. So there, there's ways he uh, goes about ruling, I guess. I know that's similar to 10 and maybe there, somebody else could explain that to you better, but that's my best attempt at, at explaining it. So I'll leave it there. All right, so whether the I was right about any of those numbers of 3, 4, 6, 7, 10, and 12, maybe I got those all wrong, but um, I think I'm closer to being right with this, maybe. So my takeaway from this is that I think there are symbolic numbers. I don't think everything is literal. I don't think everything is symbolic. I think that's somewhere in the middle there, but there are symbolic numbers and we shouldn't take symbols beyond their intended descriptive purpose and try to use them to tell fortunes or interpret omens. See, God tells us that his thoughts are so far beyond ours and there are things that are just too, what he calls wonderful for our minds to comprehend. And it's prideful to think that we can take symbols and we can use them to unlock all knowledge about our almighty God. Like we're some kind of Da Vinci code or what's that movie Nicholas Cage was in national treasure. I think he can find things out from the declaration of independence about where all these treasures are or whatever. I mean, that's that makes for good movies, but um, I don't think that's what we're supposed to do with uh, scripture to where we think, okay, the world is going to end on 2074 at 10 a.m. Because I read this in Revelation 12. Um, I think there's 
I think we can, sometimes we like to be the smartest person in the room and we like to know, uh, like, like a stockbroker. Oh, I think you should put all your money on IBM this week because they're going to have a merger. I mean, uh, or like, uh, who's going to win the game this weekend? Don't listen to all those other odds makers because I can tell you that the Giants are going to beat the Patriots this weekend by 12 points. So put all your money on the, I mean, people like to feel like they're the smartest person in the room, but this is the same prideful spirit that led Eve to eat the fruit of the garden of Eden. So she could be like God and know everything he knew. And so be careful about that because there's a warning in Deuteronomy 18, uh, 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these things, abomination, because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Now, I don't think any of us are going to burn their son or daughter as an offering. Probably not a lot of us are into divination. Uh, we're not sorcerers. We're not charmers, mediums, necromancers. But are there? Is there a temptation sometimes, whether in your spiritual life or in or in business, to feel like you're able to tell fortunes and interpret omens. I can read the tea leaves. Be careful there. It says that people that take a prideful attitude and trying to act like they are the knowledge givers, like if they're the Oracle at Delphi, that the, that, that is an abomination to the Lord. And we're putting ourselves, like I said, in Eve's position to eat the fruit of the garden of Eden so that she could be like God. So be careful of that. Don't don't use symbolic numbers as a treasure map. Takeaway number two is that there is a place for both literalism and symbolism. And I think this takes some judgment, and we need to pray for, for the Spirit to lead us in knowing when numbers are literal and when they're symbolic so that we don't confuse the two. Sometimes these numbers might be totally straightforward and they should be taken literally at face value, but there's times when we shouldn't take the symbolism too literally uh, or we'll miss the point. So pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you in knowing which is which. So that's a good place for us to end episode five. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. I hope you remember God loves you. And I hope you come back for episode six. Have a great day. Bye.